Thank you very much, and I'd like to say thank you very much to, to Matthew as well for inviting me to speak at this today. Um, I apologise, I'm currently in the process of getting a cold, which is always very useful, so I may be a bit croaky towards some of those at the back, so I shall project as much as possible. Um, really, today, I suppose a lot of my research is probably um, aligning quite a lot with what Kate has been talking about. Um, as, um, as Sue said, I'm a, I'm a human geographer. And um, a lot of the work I look at is to do with social and cultural geography. I'm very interested in um, student mobility and looking at the sort of the, the larger sort of meta uh, movements of students, but also those micro mobilities that students have. And what I'm going to be talking about today kind of draws upon probably the last few drops out of my PhD research that I finished um, a few years ago. Um, international students were really part of that. They weren't the, the overarching um, research area. Um, I'm sort of drawing out uh, some of the, the themes and, and discussions really that I'd have with my participants. Um, and in a way, it was quite a nice sort of cathartic experience to sit and almost reanalyze some of my data again and to look at it with a fresh set of eyes and with a slightly different perspective. So, trying to get across this idea really that. Um, University or access to universities become increasingly global and increasingly uh, mobilised over the last sort of 10 to 15 years. And mobility has become quite a, a key theme within this. Um, reducing everything down into the sort of the site of the university, campuses themselves have been seen as those sort of ideal places for the, the mixing of cultural diversity. And they're very much promoted by universities as being these spaces of, of, um, of sort of thrown togetherness, as, as Massey would say. Um, and really what I want to do today is to start to unpack this in a bit more detail. I've called this the inclusive campus. Um, and I'm using campus in quite a loose term, but a way of sort of starting to centralise and, and giving us a, a, a geographical pin. Um, but I'm starting to really look at some of the, the structures that are in place that might not necessarily always uh, facilitate easy access um, and journeys through higher education for international students. And there can be sort of structural and social um, boundaries that can come into these sorts of things. And it can sometimes come across as this replication of monocultural networks that can start to be um, um, displayed. And in a way, I suppose I'd hate to sort of finish on a gloomy note, but I think it's this idea perhaps that there might be a difficulty for international students to find a place within their university environment sometimes. They're not naturally situated in places where there are um, particularly large groups of um, white British students. So in this session today, I want to talk about four things, hopefully, in 25 minutes. Um, I want to sort of unpack international students really as, as a being. I want to look at how the literature is sort of contextualised um, international students. And I'm going to start looking then at various different um, sites within universities. So I want to start looking at how we might identify what a university campus might be, uh, thinking about the geographies of these spaces. But I also then want to start unpacking perhaps these ideas of inclusive and diverse spaces by looking at things like um, uh, students' unions as a way of um, making sense of that and also looking at cultural heterogeneity as well by looking at halls of residence. And that's an area which I'm very keen on. A lot of my research is um, based around um, student halls. So we'll be looking at this in these two sort of geographical contexts, I suppose, um, and starting to unpack those in a little bit more detail. So we start to think, first of all, really about the campus. And you may look at that and think, what the hell is this? This is not a campus. I'm using this image really is a, um, a way of really suggesting that 
there is a huge amount of diversity within university campuses and it would be very dangerous for me to suggest that a university campus is one sole um, geographical entity and the same replication all the way through every institution um, across the world. They're not. They're very much uh, built upon these various sizes, structures, facilities, locations, characteristics, morphologies. Um, that start to create and generate these ideas of how we understand university campuses. So I've used this sort of fictional version of a campus, and this is from Monsters University, I think I found it online, um, as a way of sort of getting across this idea that it's a general thing that I'm trying to look at. I'm trying to think of this as a space in which perhaps students might um, think about the locations and their attachments to those locations and their attachments to each other. So we could think perhaps being um, sort of the context of this as being a space in which students can learn and learn to interact with one another. So as um, Hopkins has suggested here, again I seem to have very small um, fonts as well, university campuses are contested locations in terms of how they shape the production of knowledge, students' life course trajectories and politics and power relations. So there's spaces of their own, yet there's very different uh, ways in which they're represented. Um, within higher education um, and they have very different ways in which they will shape the journeys of the students within them and they won't always shape all students journeys in exactly the same way there's huge amounts of diversity within these things and that's where I think whether the sort of the opportunities for us to start to unpack this really start to come about Hopkins sort of goes on to suggest that little has been said about the social and spatial relations within higher education institutions and the different ways in which university campuses are constructed, contested, managed and experienced in a range of exclusive, marginalising or empowering ways. So I'm really thinking about these constructions really and the way they're kind of, the structural processes that go on within them might manage the sort of the behaviours of students and the ways that students can access um, certain areas of higher education and the kind of methods in which students might employ to start to ameliorate some of these issues. So are they being just swept along or do they have a certain level of agency that allows them to perhaps start to break the mould a bit more? The research, oh, before I carry on with this, I shall talk about my research in a bit of context. Um, I did my research in uh, the University of Portsmouth, where I did my PhD uh, back in 2012. And um, I was very much looking at uh, how students as a body uh, move around campus locations. So I was very much, uh, the students were at the forefront of this. I did a series of walking interviews with my candidates. I took them, well, I didn't take them around. I trotted after them with a, uh, with a microphone and allowed them to go around the campus spaces and beyond and started to really get them to investigate and unpack their own experiences within these spaces. And within my research, I had about seven, I think, international students, and it's these experiences that I'm going to be drawing on today. And really starting to, to really unpack perhaps how they started to experience these spaces. And it was usually from um, the international students, and I had a large body of mature students as well within my study, that I really started to understand where these um, differentiations become, so where the differences are between the experiences. Um, and it was very easy to see these notions of, um, of belonging um, that you found within the, the, um, the more mainstream student body. Actually looking at the, the margins, it became a little bit more interesting. And so thinking about the campus and the kinds of environments that might be available to, um, to students, we might be able to think about things like halls of residence as a space really to, to look at unpacking. We might think about 
teaching environments and learning environments are spaces which there may not necessarily always be um, the same kinds of receptions from international students. We might think about the geographical location of a student's union, a space in which lots of students will come collectively together and whether or not people always have the same types of access to these places. We can think about the societies themselves, so we might think about breaking those down, maybe thinking about the differences between some cultural cultural societies against perhaps things like sports societies, faith-based organisations, and how that might have some influences on that sociability within those environments. But also the structure of the Students' Union as well, and perhaps the makeup and composition of sabbatical officers, who is being um, made visible within these spaces and who perhaps might be written out of, um, of these environments. So there's various different geographical spaces in which we can look at and start to unpack and look at the placement of, of um, international students within these locations. So to give us a sort of broad context really, as I said right at the beginning, we're finding higher education, well, within geography, we're finding higher education is being increasingly uh, characterised by, um, by mobility. And within a lot of geographical research, students are very much characterised as not being from around here. Um, and that will be quite often um, home-based students. The, there is a, a, a huge tendency for students to take either small or larger um, mobility decisions into their um, decisions to go to university. But there is this whole idea, really, that students don't necessarily belong in the environment in which they study during their term time. This whole idea of it not being their home space. And this can become extrapolated out when you think about international students and think about perhaps the different social, cultural, emotional and geographical issues that come in um, to these transitions that are built into these things. Waters and Liang have suggested here as well that international students can feel temporarily in a, certain, um, in a certain context out of place within the context of their new learning and social environments. So perhaps in that first instance of moving into university, it can feel this sort of very idea of feeling like this sort of fish out of water, of being in a location where there are huge amounts of, um, of, um, of, of problems with thinking about how to, to fit in amongst these spaces and how we might think about mitigating against those kinds of things and dealing with those. Hassanab talks in here about also having implications for student support networks as well. Um, so perhaps thinking about the sort of disjointedness of feeling out of place might start to develop things like homesickness. Um, it might start to impact upon different forms of learning and different forms of sociability. So it may create a sort of feeling of withdrawnness uh, from the mainstream student groups. But as Collins suggests here, international students are highly influential in the transformation of campuses. So they're very much highly sought after by universities. Universities want international students. They want that, basically. They want the money. Um, and we said we wouldn't talk about politics, but I've done it. Um, but it's, it's very much a, um, an idea, really, that there is a degree of power for universities to draw international students into campuses or into, into the university um, fold but also how that might then spill out into the wider city networks as well. So through the idea perhaps of language schools, of international accommodation, um, of perhaps welfare providers, homestay, things like that, that start to then become features of the university location that are necessarily outside 
of the, um, the university campus itself. So there's a real sort of a pull really for, for international students to come in, but not necessarily a great deal of understanding of how to um, accommodate for students as they're starting to work through their, international students are starting to work through their, their degrees. So the first sort of space I want to start looking at is this notion of the students' union. And thinking of this as a, as, a, as a sort of key contact zone within universities. So it's one of those environments in which students gravitate towards, particularly within the first few weeks of term. I think on the, the Wednesday of our freshest week, they took £16,000 behind the bar um, in our students' union. We have one of the biggest students' unions in the country. But huge amounts of draw to these spaces. Students are pulled into these environments, the location to, to think about starting to develop that conviviality between other students. So it's this location for social, political and leisure activities. Equally within that, they've become increasingly neoliberalised spaces, as, as Brooks et al. have suggested here. So environments where perhaps some might suggest they've become almost like supermarkets, where you expect things to be going on within higher education, yet there is a huge amount of commercialisation occurring in these environments. And this starts to have a bit of a, a sort of issue when it comes to thinking about the perhaps the egalitarian idea of what a students' union is supposed to be, but this, this environment for all. And one of my respondents talked about this, and I'll, I'll explain the quote. He said, I prefer a bar or a restaurant to go out rather than clubbing. I would much rather be in a more relaxing environment than being in all the chaos of the union, especially on weekends. In this country, it's kind of traditional for students to get wasted. I don't really like that. As a, uh, one of my Polish students and he was really sort of highlighting this idea that the student experience has been really characterised by alcohol and the consumption of alcohol um, and particularly within students unions and within a lot of union societies as well how alcohol has become a very pervasive thing within those sites and that doesn't necessarily chime particularly well with many international students and as this is male respondent where he says he, he felt quite out of place within those environments and it does start to, to start thinking about this idea of perhaps self-segregation in that sense that when groups aren't particularly interested in the mainstream activities that are being promoted to them if they're then pushing themselves out into other um, social um, enterprises whether or not they're seen as particularly sort of creating these exclusive geographies away uh, from the mainstream activities and whether or not that kind of might hamper their um, movement through the rest of their university degree. We talk about self-segregation it's not a bad thing it's a good thing in the sense of being able to perhaps for new students to be able to um, place themselves in within perhaps the university society in which they feel they belong. Um, so both of these quotes really sort of talk about that. The top one suggesting I joined the Afro-Caribbean society which helped with overall self-confidence and while even though I didn't do much there I make new friends there and I also go to church with them so there's a bit of self-development there. And the second one saying I think it's much easier because when I arrived I didn't really know any Russians here. It was a bit difficult getting to um, difficult getting different people from different groups together to go out, have fun, play cards, I don't know, do something. Whereas now, if I can't get to my house or my uh, friends from my class together, then I can just call the guys from the Russian society. So it's suggesting that having this space within a space, this environment, or uh, this sort of group, really, to be able to 
share experiences with starts to potentially mitigate against those initial feelings of, um, of homesickness and starts to feel really perhaps as, um, as Ros was saying about this idea of mentoring these ideas of almost self um, developing these things and starting to create them ourselves Thinking of this sort of in terms of social capital, and I'm using this in the sort of the loosest term really, um, of using thinking about social capital, we start to maybe think about how these things might be accumulated and exchanged. So these sites may offer ideal opportunities for the accumulation and then that exchange of, of the correct types of, oh dear, of social capital that might allow or facilitate international students to be able to get on. So it's not really subscribing to this idea of, of this melting pot um, that the Students' Union would like it to, to be. But Brooks starts to sort of caution that perhaps these international student groups might um, sort of perceived to be mixing well with other international students, but might actually start to fit not particularly well aligned, sorry, my teeth in today, um, alongside their host populations. So they may create um, unwittingly sometimes these monocultural social networks so it might not necessarily immediately create bonds outside of those networks they may be very much created within their networks so that might not necessarily be as easy to, to be able to move through. Can I ask why that's a problem? I'll come to you in a sec on that. There's a situation perhaps one of my participants might actually answer your question um, of this idea of almost resisting some of these monocultural social networks. So suggesting that perhaps not necessarily wanting to separate themselves away from those spaces and to actually want to get involved in the, um, the more mainstream activities that were going on. And this idea of really wanting to really be opened up to everything that was available to them within the university. So as this interview respondent suggests, I made a different choice a definite choice, sorry, not to be involved in the Malaysian or Oriental societies because that wasn't the point. I have Malaysian friends and I do speak to them, but I don't join gatherings or things like that. No, I'm not into, I'm into this whole multiculturalism, intercultural experience, things like that. I think that because I was more open to different cultures, it made me more accepting to different cultures. I want to learn from them and not just to get one cultural perspective. I make an effort to mix with other people and not just mix with the same people again and again. So kind of suggesting this sort of subverts what Brooks was saying earlier on. So you might suggest that um, self-segregation may cause issues when it comes to uh, thinking about um, moving into, into other kind of networks, but it's really suggesting that some students, international students, are really sort of seeking belonging through their familiarity with their international students and also seeking those opportunities that might challenge their difference and develop their life skills. So they're thinking perhaps still about those ideas of, of, um, of thinking about graduate attributes. So it's making sure that we don't create um, structures which pigeonhole people, that allow people to make their own choices as they move through. I did a small piece of research uh, for a paper for Children's Geographies last year, which started to look at halls of residence as well as a, as a way of thinking about these things and starting to, to unpack the ideas of difference within, within halls. And I'm working on this idea of um, intentional and unintentional segregation. And this is something that was developed by uh, Ruth Fincher and Katie Shaw um, from the University of Melbourne. 
a few years ago and they, they were looking at these ideas of how the structures that are put in place by the university might start to create forms of segregation within um, accommodation spaces. And there can sometimes be these institutional assumptions that we make about our students. We, we decide perhaps how we think that students should be um, should be placed within the university, how they should move their mobility through the university. And I think, I'm not saying it's a wrong thing, but I'm saying that perhaps that could be problematised a little bit. And I've chosen here just a couple of quotes, really, that I've taken from um, some of the accommodation providers on the websites. I did an analysis of, of all of the um, university websites and then looked at it against my data as well with the qualitative work. And some of the things that were coming out from this so the halls will provide you with a unique opportunity to make friends with people from around the UK or even around the world. You'll meet people from all over the world that share your interests. So again, it's pushing this idea of, of diversity, of difference, of sharing difference and sharing our diverse ways. And that's not necessarily always the case when it actually comes down to the nitty gritty within, um, within campuses themselves. I think Manchester University kind of get it slightly more accurately. You may find that your flatmates are from different parts of the country or the world or have different religions to you, so what seems normal to you may not be to them. So ideas of perhaps thinking about uh, the way that we might blend some of these things together. So we're thinking here about the placement really of international students in accommodation, which is what kind of interests me within this. And thinking about the work of, of Fincher and Shaw, and also earlier than that, Fincher and Costello, the work that they were doing in the University of Melbourne was starting to think about this idea of intentional or unintentional segregation through stereotyping and stigma. And the research they were doing was looking at how students were placed in accommodation um, during term time within, within the city. University of Melbourne is quite a sort of unique in, in example in an Australian context. Mobility is very, very different, so home students in, in Australia are likely to go to their local university, to their most local university. Mobility to other spaces within, um, within the country is quite rare. Um, but there are huge amounts of international students within, within the University of Melbourne. And so you'll find that predominantly, and predominantly I mean by about 95%, most students that are living in halls of residence in, um, in the University of Melbourne will be international students. They won't necessarily be home-based students. So these are, are environments that have been created for these international students. And some of the things, and I've, I've picked the most sensational ones because I probably would, but these are some of the things that have been picked out of, of their research. So talking about uh, the Chinese students that they had um, within their um, within their study. They're very focused on their work. They're also very driven by their parents. It's not about that I want to meet Australians and all that sort of stuff. So one of the um, university managers that they talked to about that. Another one at the bottom, thinking here about the people who move into them. These are the halls of residence. Know what they're moving into. And a lot of them are from high-rise cultures. So you've got lots of kids coming from Hong Kong and Singapore and Kuala Lumpur and so on. And a lot of them are out of exactly those types of buildings. So it's this whole idea of stereotyping um, the types of students that are going to be coming through, preempting, I suppose, the students that are arriving to university and creating living spaces um, based upon those assumptions. So these are uh, pictures of some of the halls of residence. They're on Swanson Street. There's down, slightly down the road from, um, from the university. And these spaces are, are really 
quite important. They have very, very little communal um, space in them. So most of them have less than 5% communal space, even within the flats themselves. So they may have a very small vestibule corridor where the rooms go off of. Um, they have very small eating facilities. Uh, they may have sort of corridors down on the ground floor for people to be able to socialise. But it's really forcing international students out into the wider city, which is one of the, the main things. And within Fincher and Shaw's research, and I've, I've not put the quote up on here because it's really long, but I'll read it through. They think about this sort of morphology of these spaces and how these morphologies might affect the ways in which international occupants engage, not just with the spaces themselves, but actually with the wider networks within the city. So how that might affect their experiences of being um, an international student in a foreign city. And so the spaces they're talking about, they say there's no outside gardens available for socialising. The building's footprints on the available land usually exclude this. As well, there is little private socialising space within the small apartments. These features of purpose-built student housing in the study area foster little connection with people or sites within or outside of the buildings. They encourage students living in the buildings to seek entertainment outside in the tight, nervous friendship groups formed through meeting at international student orientation sessions or through transnational links, reinforced within these buildings through occasional meetings in hallways. In hallways. So it's painting a particularly gloomy picture of, of, um, of living in these hall spaces and the ways in which it's then sort of forcing um, social interactions to occur outside of the hall, moving that away. And so as they Another used... five minutes. Okie doke. As they... Um, well, they've got two more slides. As they then started to map some of these things, these social interactions within the city, so looking at the University of, of Melbourne itself up here, this is uh, Swanson Street that comes down, and some of the areas in which the students were starting to, to socialise. The darker green uh, dots on here are the spaces in which they felt very comfortable. Uh, the very light ones are the ones they felt least comfortable with, and then the pinky ones are the ones they were fairly ambivalent towards. And so you can see sort of various sort of clusters, really, that show contrast between where the local students, so the Australian students, um, are socialising and thinking about perhaps the clustering, the tighter clustering where the international students were socialising. And to these sort of spaces around here are, are sort of the malls, uh, the sort of mainstream uh, restaurants, shopping centres, those kinds of things. Whereas in the local context, they're street corners, they're parks, uh, they're local independent cafes. So it's these familiarities perhaps with the, with the location itself which starts to create some of these social bonds. But it's very much this idea that the international students were feeling they needed to be close together. They needed to stick within their groups to be able to make that work. I found this little bit within my own research. This respondent here is suggesting, I was expecting halls to have more diversity with different people from different cultures and countries. But actually, my whole flat is Chinese with one other girl from Africa. I was quite disappointed. I didn't know that before I arrived. And I think they thought that because we were all Chinese, we would all get along in the same flat. So again, it's this idea of, of making decisions for students. So it's speaking for these students. So rather than allowing them to perhaps think about or question the idea of wanting that diversity, that's been taken away by the structures that have been placed in the university. So it's really saying that this immersiveness that she wanted, she wasn't getting, she wasn't able to do this. But later in the interview, she suggested that she was seeking this stuff outside. 
So she made a conscious effort to want to go out and start to then seek the, the, um, the um, socialization with uh, other students and not necessarily uh, with other Chinese students. So she's trying to think about, again, subverting some of these things. So she's recognising that her long-term benefits of subverting the structural homogenisation within her flat might have on her university experience. So she's thinking ahead on these things. Another one. In my flat, things are quite diverse. I'm from Hungary and I have a flatmate who's Caribbean, and one from Qatar. It's really nice that our diversity has never been a source of problem in any way. It's nice to be around them and they learn from them, particularly as culture often translates into food, and that's really nice. <laughs> so, again, it's this idea of thinking of conviviality within these spaces. So it's an environment, perhaps, where diversity is encouraged, um, is starting to also encourage the same levels of, of conviviality in which most normal mainstream um, student halls will be allowing. So it's not this sort of pushing students into, into particular uh, pigeonholes. So we're still trying to think perhaps about these ideas of an sort of egalitarian living space, um, thinking about sharing and respect in that sense. I lied. I have one more. Actually, I have one more of this as well. Um, there were sort of still in some situations where some of these things didn't necessarily always work. This is uh, one of my students here who had um, an initial problem in halls. She was in a diverse, in a diverse halls with. She was the only um, international student in a hall with other uh, white English students. She says, in my first year, my housemates were being a bit annoying. They didn't really get living around different people, and they expected me to go out with them and party hard, things like that. I was homesick and missing home badly, so I had to go to counselling to speak to somebody. And then I spoke to all my flatmates together, and we sorted this out. So it's saying perhaps that um, her cultural differences weren't necessarily being recognised uh, within the spaces in that she was living. Yet through using the, um, the structures to her advantage, um, there are ways then of starting to then create that dialogue or open that dialogue up within, um, within that space and start to ameliorate some of those problems. But what I found more interesting within this was how perhaps this student recognised her diversity and her difference as a way of um, sort of starting to slot into the mainstream, that feeling that she had to be on the periphery of things. So this is a bit later on in the interview. She was saying that we'd all hang out together and then we all go our separate ways. You know, I want to go and get a drink, maybe a coffee somewhere quiet. And they want to go and get wasted in Tiger Tiger. We all get on really well, but we didn't hang out like that. But after then, we'd sit and bitch about everybody else, things like that. But we didn't really go out together because that would be horrible. I don't even want to think about it. <laughs> so it's just it's creating those areas where between uh, the housemates, they created enough of a dialogue in there um, that they will be able to respect each other's uh, cultural differences and find ways of starting to ameliorate these things. So rather than it necessarily being an oil and water of international students, it's finding ways of starting to incorporate international students within the mainstream education. So in conclusion, really just thinking about sort of the key points of, of this, the appetite then for international student societies can promote inclusion but can appear marginal and exclusive to wider, student net to wider university networks. So the idea perhaps in that initial time of having um, spaces or environments in which international students can quickly um, find notions of belonging might also then have problems later on when it comes to them feeding into um, the mainstream um, audiences. So it may appear 
to be these sort of self-segregated um, exclusive geographies. You think about this idea of cultural inclusivity, it's something that's very heavily marketed uh, by universities, but within accommodation services it might not necessarily always work. So you may find that diversity is necessarily written out of a living environment, um, be it by um, the structures within it or it might necessarily also be by those that are living within those spaces. So we need to think really here about how thinking about international students might face complex inter and, and intra uh, cultural differences and these things that might be overlooked by universities and other students. So we might necessarily thinking about the differences in perhaps the um, initial destinations um, where students have come from, but also thinking about the intracultural differences that might exist within those things as well. And we can sometimes badge this quite dangerously within universities. So one of the key things we really want to take out of this is we need to start thinking about really including the voices of the students themselves um, in these processes. Um, because sometimes the university structures might not necessarily adequately speak well for them. So thank you very much.